Let's take our Bibles, go to 2 Kings 23. Excuse me, chapter 14, we'll be in verse 23. 2 Kings 14, and then we'll start in verse 23 in just a moment. Well, tonight we're going to uh, consider... the end part of chapter 14, skip a few verses in chapter 15, and then pick up and go down through verse 31. Uh, Tonight we're going to cover six different kings. Uh, And you're like, oh boy, here we go. It's going to be a lengthy message. But really we're covering six kings that there's very little information about them. But I want to go from this theme this evening. How many of you ever have heard of uh, uh, this phrase? Typically in the world of sports or athletics, from worst to first. And, and the idea of that is if one season there's a team that came in last place and the very next season they, they won the World Series or they won the, the Super Bowl. They went from worst to first in one season. It's quite an accomplishment. Rarely happens. Uh, I was reading on a couple of them. I think uh, the 1991 Minnesota Twins with Kirby Puckett. I remember that World Series, but I didn't remember that they had been the worst team the year before. And they went from, uh, from the worst, the, the, the seller, last place to first place. And then in 1999, the St. Louis Rams uh, did the same thing. The previous year had been in last place and then won the Super Bowl the next year from worst to first. Uh, this evening... I want to turn that around a little bit as we consider the kingdom of Israel. Going from its very pinnacle of its kingdom to its worst in one chapter. Uh, And just a handful of verses from first to worst. So we'll turn it around this evening. And by doing this in about 30 verses, we're going to see six different kings. Let me give you the king's names now. You might miss them if we're, we're going to go quickly. And so we're going to see Jeroboam. And this is actually, although it doesn't state it here, Jeroboam II. Uh, You recognize that name, Jeroboam. He was the first king of the divided nation of Israel. He's the one that led them down this this path of of Baal worship and and leading them away into all of these things. And so he was named in recognition of this man, so Jeroboam II, his son Zechariah, a man named Shalom, uh, Menhaim, and then Pekiah and Pekah. These six men here are are mentioned. Now, Hosea will be mentioned also. He's a king, but we're not going to cover him this evening. And uh, what I want us to see is, uh, first of all, the the kingdom of Israel during the reign of Jeroboam II. Uh, Let's look at verse 23 down through uh, 27 of chapter number 14. First King, excuse me, Second Kings, chapter fourteen, starting in verse twenty-three. In the fifteenth year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned forty and one years, and he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. Now. Again, when it's referencing departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, that's going back to the number one king in the northern kingdom. The very first one after Solomon uh, when the kingdom was divided. So we're going back several years to this first one. And he's saying Jeroboam II is continuing down the same path. Verse 25, but he restored the coast of Israel from the entering of Hamath unto the sea of the plain according to the word of the Lord God God of Israel, which he spake by the hand of his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, 
the prophet which was of Gath Hefer. And so this is that Jonah that we're familiar with, the book of Jonah. Uh, Jonah fleeing, going to Tarshish, all the things, same thing. But Jonah was used of the Lord to, de- to deliver this message. Verse 26, for the Lord saw the affliction of Israel, that it was very bitter. For there was not any shut up, nor any left, nor any helper for Israel. And the Lord said not that he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven, but he saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, the son of Joash. Now the rest of the acts of Jeroboam and all that he did in his might, how he warred and how he recovered Damascus and Hamath, which belongeth to Judah. For Israel, they, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? And Jeroboam slept with his father, even with the kings of Israel, and Zechariah his son reigned in his stead. Now you've got to remember where Israel has been, this northern kingdom. They've been in decline for some time. In fact, I think it's just two kings prior uh, made reference to the, 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 the dangerous place they were, militarily speaking, uh, their army has decreased in size. They've lost chariots. It's, it's, it's a time of decline prior to Jeroboam coming into his position of reign. It, it's a time of crisis. They're losing uh, um, uh, land. They're losing their borders. They're being taken over. And then Jeroboam comes in, and he has a lengthy reign, 41 years. He has what we would consider a successful reign, at least in a military fashion, and at least in the, uh, the regaining of land. And some say that he has probably taken Israel to a point higher and more powerful than any time in the northern kingdom's history. And so uh, this is a, a, a prosperous time for the nation. This is a strong time for the nation of Israel in that sense. And yet still evil is going on. Uh, this is not a, um, a spiritually strong time. This is not a godly time. This is a wicked time. And yet there is still appears to be the blessings of God. In fact, we see here uh, that these blessings come from God. We see once again the grace and the mercy of God. Now before we would question this, we may say in our minds, well, why would God bless them? Why would God bless these pagan worshipers, all those things? Let's not get too judgmental of them, because how often has God blessed us, you, me, when we did not deserve it? Well, that should have been a good amen spot for all of us there. I know I don't get a lot of amens, but come on, church. You know, we we don't deserve the blessings of God. We're unfaithful. We, We don't stay consistent. We waver, and yet God is good. God is gracious. God is kind. God is long-suffering. He's patient. All of those things. Now, I know there's a time of judgment. I know there's a time when God draws a line. And we'll see that in the nation of Israel shortly. We'll see it in Judah sometime after that. I understand that. But here they were, not serving God, and yet God was good to them. This is a time that, although it's not shared greatly here, uh, we don't see how the nation responds to these obvious blessings of the Lord here in 2 Kings. 
Uh, again, it's, it, it, it's, it's these historical books of Kings and Chronicles. We get, we get most of our information, but we get very little. And it's interesting. This is a king that ruled for 41 years. This is a time of prosperity. And yet we see little of it shared with us here. But it is interesting. We can learn some things about the nation of Israel from some of the minor prophets. Uh, to go with me, first of all, this evening to the book of Amos. Uh, go to, over to the, to the book of Amos. I should have warned you so you could be looking for it while I was gabbing on there. I need. I should have marked it. There it is, Amos. If you look at Amos chapter number 1, it says, The words of Amos, who was among the herdmen of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And so this was written, the book of Amos, during the time, Amos came on the scene during the time of this king that we're talking about this evening, or here at the beginning, Jeroboam. Now, look with me, if you will, to chapter number 2 of Amos. And notice what's going on, and we could look at several parts of this book, but let me just highlight this section here. And I want to read to you from a section in one of my commentaries about what's going on here. Look at verse 6 of chapter 2. It says, Thus saith the Lord, For three transgressions of Israel, and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because they sold the righteous for silver, and the poor for a pair of shoes, that pant after the dust of the earth on the head of the poor, and turn aside the way of the meek. And a man and his father will go in unto the same maid to profane my holy name. And they lay themselves down upon clothes, laid to pledge by every altar, and they drink the wine of the, condem- of the condemned in their house of their God. Now, just in those three verses, we can see the, to the depths of debauchery this nation has entered. We see them being, um, uh, they have problems with their monies and their bribes and uh, their unfair judgments and taking bribes. And we see the immorality. Uh, this is all linked, to, by the way, to their worship, to their God, uh, their Baal worship. This is all linked to what's been going on all around them. In fact, I went back and looked at my notes from the book of Amos when we were preaching through the minor prophets in the, on Wednesday evenings. I went back and looked at my notes on that, on that message. And I, and I talked in that message about how Israel, the northern kingdom, was influenced by their neighboring nations and not the influence they should have been. They, they allowed the, the, the lifestyles of these wicked pagan nations around them to influence them, and they embraced that lifestyle, and we just read about some of it. Let me read, I brought a small uh, commentary of, through the Bible from a man named Dave Sorensen that I like. He's an independent Baptist, very conservative, and notice what he will say about these verses. Uh, 6 through 8, he says, The focus of the remainder of the book of Amos is upon the sin of Israel particularly the northern kingdom. They, like the pagan Gentile nations about them, were guilty of multiple and gross transgressions against their God. Israel had become completely corrupt. Judges would sell righteous men into slavery if the price was right. 
Those in authority were so corrupt that they would accept a trivial, uh, as trivial a bribe as a pair of shoes to sell a poor man into slavery. Implicit is utter evil, greed, and graft. He goes down to verse number 7. He says, the dust of the earth that is referenced here is likely a metaphor of money. Greed permeated Israel, often at the expense of the poor. The meek or people of lowly estate were routinely denied justice. Now Sorensen goes on to quote an old commentator named John Gill. John Gill said this, guilty of such uncleanness as not only to have and enjoy the same harlot, but of such incest as the son would lie with his father's wife and the father lie with his son's wife. That's referenced there in these passages here of the type of uh, uh, immorality they're involved in. Sorensen picks up, described as gross and despicable immorality. Israel, the people of God, had degenerated into the worst forms of this perversion. He goes on to describe this in a greater detail that I'll spare you this evening. He goes on to verse number 8, further arrogant wickedness is described. Clothing taken from others as collateral was ruined as wealthy corrupt men used them to recline and get drunk upon at, a, at, the, at the local idolatrous temple. Callous regard for other corruptions, gross immorality, greed and wickedness in general had come to characterize Israel. In all the prophets, there is scarcely a sharper indictment of the sin of Israel than here in, in Amos chapter 2. So this is what's going on at this time of so-called or apparent success, worldly success. God blessing them. They do not recognize it. They do not embrace it. They don't give this. And by the way, uh, I read another commentator that said this about the passage in 2 Kings. You can go back to 2 Kings chapter 14. He says, we must be careful not to mistake the compassions of God as a commendation from God. Just because God was being good to them is not meaning that he was giving approval of their lifestyle. But God is good. God is gracious. God is kind, even to those that will deny him. So Jeroboam dies at the end of this chapter, chapter number 14. And then we're going to have several other kings. Now, at the beginning of chapter 15, I'll explain to you why we're going to skip some verses. Look at verse number 1 of chapter 15. It says, In the twenty and seventh year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, began Azariah, son of Amaziah, the king of Judah, to reign. Now, Azariah, we've already studied him, although we referred to his other name. His other name that's used frequently is the name Uzziah. He's the king of Judah, the southern kingdom. And so we have a handful of verses here in 2 Kings that are going to cover Uzziah. We already studied him. We looked at 2 Chronicles chapter 26 and studied him. And so we're going to drop down now to verse number 8, and we're going to go back to the northern kingdom in in this history here, in this collection. Now notice with me as we go through these next five kings, you're going to see chaos. You're going to see recklessness. You're going to see brevity of reigns. It says, in the 30 and 8th year of Azariah, king of Judah, did Zechariah, the son of Jeroboam, reign over Israel in Samaria six months. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord, as his fathers had done. He departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. 
And Shalom, the son of Jabesh, conspired against him and smote him before the people and slew him and reigned in his stead. And the rest of the acts of Zechariah, behold, they are written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel. This was the word of the Lord which, was, which we spake unto Jehu, saying, Thy son shall sit on the throne of Israel until the fourth generation. And so it came to pass. Now that's an interesting verse there, verse number 12. You could gloss over that and just keep on going, but this is a fulfillment of God's promise here in verse number 12. All the way back in chapter number 10, God had promised Jehu that there would be four generations from his line that would rule. He got through that. Even though the one was killed here, that was the fourth generation from Jehu. And so even in this wicked kingdom, with wicked men, God kept his word. God fulfilled his promise, and we see it revealed here in verse number 12. Verse 13 picks up about Shalom. The son of Jabesh began to reign in the, in the nine and thirtieth year of Uzziah, king of Judah, and he reigned a full month in Samaria. For Menahem, the son of Gadi, went up from Tirzah and came to Samaria and smote Shalom, the son of Jabesh in, in Samaria, and slew him and reigned in his stead. And the rest of the acts of Shalom and his conspiracy which he made, behold, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. Then Menahem smote uh, Tipsha and all that were therein and the coast thereof from Tirzah, because they opened not to him. Therefore he smote it, and all the women therein that were with child he ripped up. Now let's not pass that up here. Do you realize what he's speaking of here? There was a, a, a portion of the kingdom that did not accept him, and so he sends his armies in there, and he commits atrocities, things that the nations around them would do, but never you would think of God's people, of Israel doing, taking women great with child and, 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 and slew, uh, uh, killing that child while it's still in the womb. I mean, it's just a horrific thing that's going on here as he's the king of Israel. In the nine and thirtieth year of Azariah, king of Judah, began Manham, the son of Gadi, to reign over Israel, and he reigned ten years in Samaria. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He departed not all his days from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. And Paul, the king of Assyria, came against the land, and Manham gave Paul a thousand talents of silver, that his hand might be with him to confirm the kingdom in his hand. And Menhenham exacted the money of Israel, even of all the mighty men of the wealth of each man, 50 shekels of silver to give to the, uh, to the king of Assyria. So the, the king of Assyria turned back and stayed not there in the land. The rest of the acts of Menhenham and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles and the kings of Israel? And Menhenham slept with his fathers, and Pekiah, his son, reigned in a set. In the fiftieth year of Azariah, king of Judah, Pekiah, the son of Menham, began to reign over Israel and Samaria, and he reigned two years. He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. But Pekah, the son of Remiah, a captain of his, conspired against him and smote him in Samaria in the palace of the king's house with Argob and Aria. And made him fifty men of the Galeonites, he and killed him, and reigned in his room. And the rest of the acts of Pekiah and all that he did, behold, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel. And in the two and fiftieth year 
of Azariah, king of Judah, Pekah, the son of Remilah, began to reign over Israel and Samaria and reigned 20 years. And guess what? He did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He departed not from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who made Israel to sin. In the days of Pekah, king of Israel, came Tiglath, uh, Pistler, the king of Assyria, and took Ijon and Abeleth and Jana and, and Kadesh and Hazor and Gilead and Gali and all uh, the land of Naphtali and carried them captive to Assyria. Here you see what's about ready to happen. It's already starting to take place. This captivity into the Assyrian captivity is starting to take place here under this. And so Hosea, the son of Elah, made a conspiracy against Pekah the son of Ramilah, and smote him and slew him and reigned in his stead in the 20th year of Jotham, the son of Uzziah. And the rest of the acts of Pekah and all that he did, behold, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel. And so here you have, after Jeroboam dies, a, a little over 30 years, five kings. Begins with Zechariah. He's an evil king. Six-month reign. Uh, we have God fulfilling his promise there in 1512. Then you have Shalom, the evil, another evil king with a one-month reign. Menham, an evil king with a ten-year reign. Pekiah, an evil king with a two-year reign. And then Pekah, an evil king with a 20-year reign. For these 30-ish years, at a time when they were at their pinnacle, there is now chaos, no stability, no growth after being at this pinnacle from first to worst. Well, I think there's a couple of things we can consider here. First of all, and really number one is where it all begins and ends, but it led to another, another thought this evening, but why did they go from this place, from the, the strongest they've been in, to, in about 30 years to starting into this decline of captivity? And again, it goes back to chapter 14 and verse 26 and 27 where it's revealed to us these, these gains that they've had, this land that they've gotten back, this power that they have under Jeroboam was not from Jeroboam but from God's blessings upon them. And there's never a recognition of that. There's never a time when the king pauses and says, this is because of God. This is what God has done for us. There's no recognition of it. And because there's no recognition of God's blessing, number two, there's no change in behavior. They just continue down this path. Again, they are all continuing down that. And you read Hosea, you read Amos, you're seeing time and time again the descriptions of this people and their wicked lifestyle. Now this is about Israel. This is about the northern kingdom. But it's not difficult for us to read this and not think about America, isn't it? I mean, when you read this and you see the, the direction, well, first of all, you see the blessing, you see the goodness, and yet we see no recognition of it, and, and you see the direction of our nation. It's easy for us to see the nation of America. It's not about us, but boy, it's very fitting of us. And for us as Bible-believing Christians and, and desiring to see God's blessing upon us and all those things, it can be a very discouraging and disheartening thing. Uh, we have seen America, uh, we would think, at its pinnacle, at its highest, at its greatest blessings. But we are seeing a nation that's becoming more and more ungrateful, 
a nation that's becoming more and more seemingly refusing to acknowledge God and God's blessings upon us. Uh, We see a nation that's become more and more wicked, more and more ungrateful. And we see these passages about Israel, and it's very easy for us to see America. But what do we do? Do we just say, well, that's, this is our fate? We're going to go the way of, of Israel. We're going to find the judgment of God upon us. And that very well could be true. But there's a verse over in the book of Hosea that I want us to conclude with this evening. Uh, again, search with me to the book of Hosea and your minor prophets. And we'll look at this verse, make a couple of comments. and We'll be done this evening. Hosea chapter number 10. Now we cannot force, mandate, even in a lawful way, we cannot mandate righteousness upon our nation. Uh, We cannot just make rules and laws and expect these are the laws. And and I'm all for lawful things and I'm all for good things. But that's not going to change the heart of a nation. And, uh, and so we just can't do this. But what we can do as the church, we can be lights, we can be salt, we can be difference makers in our communities. And this is not going to turn political this evening. Uh, let's just keep it with the church tonight. Let's keep it as a spiritual aspect this evening. We can make a difference. And notice what, here in the book of Hosea, again, if you look at the chapter number 1, verse number 1, this was written during uh, the times of Jeroboam, uh, the son of Joash, king of Israel. And so this is during his life, and this is all about uh, uh, the the wickedness of this nation that's walked away from God, uh, using Hosea and Gomer as an example here. And so there's a key thought here in Hosea chapter 10, Notice verse number 12. It says, Sow to yourselves in righteousness, reap in mercy. Break up the fallow or the hard ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Now that's written to the nation of Israel. That they were to sow to themselves righteousness. But even in that, 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 that thought of this is to the nation of Israel, it was written to individuals in Israel. Sow to yourselves. It takes one person to begin this and then a, and another to follow. And, and ultimately more and more people sowing, planting, uh, developing this righteousness in the nation. It's Proverbs chapter 14, I think, verse 34 that says, Righteousness exalteth a nation it's not our politics it's not our policies but it's going to be righteousness that's going to turn the nation back to god and church the only place that can come is through the believers and through the church so this evening as we see and we've read about israel during the reigns of these six kings and the the fall from the from the first to the worst We can see America, and no doubt we've had our place at the top, and we could see that taken away from us very quickly. In fact, it wouldn't take 30 years, would it? We've seen what two years of bad policies can do, and we can see where we're headed. We see how soon this could be taken away from us. What's going to change that? Righteousness. Choosing to live righteously and godly in this present 
evil world that we live in. We cannot be the ones that are being influenced. We must be the influencers. I think that's even a term today, isn't it, for uh, people that are influencers uh, on social media? Listen, the church, it's time for us to be influencers. Influence your neighbor. Influence your co-workers. Influence your family members. Influence these people that they, wanna, they want what we have. And then they'll take that to their families and to their co-workers, and we see this spread. And so sow to yourselves in righteousness, and we will reap in mercy. Break up the fallow ground, for it is time to seek the Lord till he come and rain righteousness upon you. Again, it's going to begin with individuals. It's going to be someone personally say, you know what, I'm going to start this. I'm going to live this in my life. It's going to be for someone in this room, myself, somebody else saying, I'll do this. And that spreads to another person, another family, another group. It spreads to the churches. or It spreads if we'll do this, but it takes an individual to personally say, I'll start sowing to righteousness. We live in a wicked world. 2 Timothy chapter number 3 it, uh, talks about the wickedness of this land, and it's, it's going to wax worse and worse. That's where we're at, but we can still live in a righteous manner and make a difference. And so I want to encourage us this evening, um, let's not be a part of this first to worst. I don't want to see that happen. I want to see us lead in righteousness, trust the Lord, and see what God uh, will do because of our obedience to him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this evening. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. Perhaps this evening you would be that one that would say, you know what, I want to, I want to be one of those people that will rule, that will that will serve, that will work in righteousness to make a difference. The Lord's touched your heart there at your pew or here at this altar this evening. Uh, let's talk to the Lord. Lord may be working in your heart in some other fashion, and please use this time of decision and reflection to make that decision for the Lord. Lord, take this invitation now, Lord. Would you work in our hearts this evening? May we learn from the poor examples of the nation of Israel, these six kings that continue down a pathway. May we learn from their negative examples of what we should be. So Lord, take these few moments, use them for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed as the piano begins to play. If the Lord spoke to your heart. Would you respond this evening? <laughs>